What's up, guys? Super excited to let you know that we're now releasing transcripts of the podcast. It's linked in the podcast description. You can also find it on LinkedIn at Danny Langloss in our documents section. If you're not following us on LinkedIn, please do. We're releasing leadership content daily, really driving a ton of engagement. It's our main platform. If you haven't already for the podcast, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Please give us a rating or a review. That really helps us reach more people organically. Thank you very much. Let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langlois. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jeffrey McGee, and we're going to talk about three elements that drive more loyalty, commitment, passionate discretionary effort in the workplace, more commonly referred to as employee engagement. Dr. McGee has been called one of today's leading leadership strategists, his signature manager leadership engagement development series, the Leadership Academy of Excellence, we love that, is utilized by many of the Fortune 100 firms, the Army National Guard, Federal Reserve, farm credit banks, as well as the entrepreneur business owners today at the C-suite level. It is an integrative, engaged, managerial leadership effectiveness series with senior leaders. This, this man is a human capital developer. And if you, you love our show and our leadership sites, he, he is going to blow you away. He's, he's really focused on business growth, leadership development, works with organizations to protect and leverage their most valuable asset, their people. As the author of more than 20 books, the publisher of Performance P360 Magazine, and, and check this out, this will blow you away, twice selected to represent the United States at the World Congress as a leadership speaker, once in France, once in Austria. Dr. Jeffrey, such an honor to have you join us on the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you and, and, your, uh, and your membership, your leaders that listen to you for ideas to spark plug their mind and take them to the next level. Oh, all about taking it to the next level. How can we add 1%? How can we add layers of greatness, right? That, that is awesome. So I want to ask, because this is very intriguing. We talked about it a little bit off camera. Um, tell me about you representing the United States at the World Congress at this big, as a leadership speaker at this big leadership summit. The, there is an organization internationally called Junior Chamber International, USJCs, founded here in the United States in 1921. It's a global footprint. Uh, at a tight uh, million plus members across the globe. It's uh, individuals that are between 21 and 40 years of age. And the intent is how do you grow leaders at the local level? So think about even in the local community where you are or any of our viewers today. Uh, and over time, just like any organization, it ebbs and flows, growth and, and, and decline. And uh, the organization each year Obviously, uh, as we're recording this, we're coming out of a global pandemic, so a lot of uh, activities are virtual or a hybrid, but uh, every year they would have tens of thousands of leaders from around the world show up that are leaders in business, in politics, in government, in industry, entrepreneurs, uh, et cetera, and they would talk about leadership at the local level, but what are we learning globally? So my uh, opportunity was I was invited to France to speak once, uh, obviously, you know, 100 uh, plus nations out there. So you have all the translations and the earpieces and everything going on. And 
kind of fun to see how you do an American joke and make sure it goes over internationally. Right. Uh, so that was the, the premise. And so what we shared was we're similar to what your, your, your statement here in setting up today's uh, visit. And that is what are very specific strategic or tactical ways to move the needle forward on individuals, on yourself, on initiatives. How do you get people to think not just micro, but macro? How do we recognize many times when we make decisions, we're dealing with something immediately in front of us. And I always challenge people, uh, when you make a decision, think of the time continuum. There's three levels of time to any decision. And what gets us typically in trouble is we're only making decisions based upon immediate needs. And that immediate could be right, right now, today, or in the coming days, weeks, or months. But whenever you make a decision now, immediate, it is going to have an influence on the intermediate decisions and then therefore the long-term decisions. A leader has to be focused on over the horizon, long-term, then you back it up to intermediate, then you back it up today. And then where I step into play is I talk about human capital. And, that, and that's what I was invited to talk about both times. That, that, that's awesome. I think of Stephen Covey talking about beginning with the end in mind. One of the things that, that we talk about all the time is the best way to predict the future is to create it. Um, Absolutely love that line. And again, that is a very powerful line that has roots back decades with some of the top management, leadership, org development personalities of our time. And, and sometimes people don't, don't you know, get that. We talk about a lot today, for example, how do you manage change? Well, the first way you manage change is to step off the planet because you're an idiot for making the statement. You can't manage change. You either are going to work within it or you're going to work against it. But the best way to manage change is now back to your statement. Create it. Be the benchmark that everyone else is benchmarking off of. Be the originator. Be the creator. We live in a society today that's so sadly full of imitators. I mean, no parent gives birth to a child and says, wow, look at my child. I hope it grows up to be freaking average. No, we want our kids to be great. So unleash that creative DNA you have and be an originator. That's what it's all about. I mean, I wrote a book called Your Trajectory Code. And that's all it's about is how do you really unleash the you? Now let's bring it back to the organization and unleash the us. Powerful, powerful, powerful word. So I want to ask, because, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about, and I don't know that people are using the words human capital development. Um, but there's a lot of talk about that focus on people versus results, getting rid of the old power and control to service and empowerment, you know, instead of micromanagement, you know, being inclusive, right? Um, getting more people involved, you know, giving them the space to do their job, getting out of their way. But 20 years ago on your business card, you had human capital developer. Why did you see that then? And, and why is that so powerful then and today? Thank you for the question. So it wasn't that I, I maybe saw myself then as cutting edge and ahead of the curve and sharpening the, you know, the saw and all the buzzwords of the past two decades. The reality, though, is I probably should own that phrase and say I'm the originator of that concept because I don't know if anyone else 21 years ago is writing books or running a business using the concept or actually architecturally looking at what that means. So the reason I came after it that way is that traditionally, and I mean, no disrespect with my next comments, so don't anyone have a freaking heart attack on me or have your head explode. <laughs> but the way most of us over the age of 40 and therefore influence on everyone under the age of 40, we're raised to look at business is through a, a lens of structure. Whether you're looking at business through a government lens, a military lens, a profit-based, a non-profit-based and that lens would tell us that again, you know, and again, academics, you know, talk about it, write books, et cetera. That when you look at a business, it's structured. And so that structured model, and I still say this to lots of business leaders, just I have a huge, you know, turn I'm going to make at the end of my conversation, is that no matter what the size of your business is, if you want to run it efficiently, then think of it through the lens of a Fortune 100 corporation, even if you're only a three-person employed company. 
So we can debate all day long, but the reality is if you're a Fortune 100 company, you're the best of the best or you wouldn't be there because there's a lot of benchmarks that we use to score someone as a Fortune 100 company, globally or domestically. So if you think of a Fortune 100 company, then remove all the people, the talent from it, and architecturally, you'd have an org chart. So Danny, if you're the CEO of this company and myself and all the viewers today are the employees who are going to populate your org chart, then as the CEO, the first layer below you horizontally are going to be all of the C-suite executives. And so depending upon the kind of business you have, you might have a you know, chief learning officer or chief legal officer, chief operations officer, chief financial officer, chief IT officer, chief sales officer. I mean, lots of the C's you can have. And then the enterprises would fall under that. So even if I'm coaching someone with a smaller business, I would coach them to think that way so you understand the, the 360 of the model. Because even if you're a solo practitioner, you got to wear all those hats, you know, accounting and payroll, I mean, et cetera. Now, with that, what I'd recognize, take a step back because the new org chart, if I really was to be you know, difficult in the executive room, I'd say there's really only two people as the CEO you want on your inner circle. The businesses of tomorrow are not about technology. That's the obvious conversation. It's not about legalities. That's the obvious conversation. It's not about CHRO, you know, from a compliance HR perspective. That, that's obvious. So, I, I mean, I can make the obvious. What I believe are the two most important roles that any business leader needs in the future is going to be your chief financial officer and your chief human capital officer. So now if your chief human capital is, is your learning officer, your leadership officer, your HR officer, but what I mean by that is human capital. See, the two things that's really going to make or break any business today is not what your unique service deliverable is, because if you have it, someone else can get it. The uniqueness is your revenue streams, your money, your cash flow, your competition doesn't have, and your human capital that you have, the competition doesn't have. And how you can leverage and sequence and nuance those two together will impact everything else in the conversation. Now, some people could come back and say, well, I'm the IT guy and everything in IT can influence those. And yes and no. But at the end of the day, your brain power and your checkbook is all you need to be successful. It's virtual, whether it's traditional live brick and mortar, whether it's hybrid. So how do we look at things? If we take a military example, I mean, for decades, we looked at the Cold War and we knew that, again, if we went to war with China, Russia, you know, kill the senior leadership team on the field because the employees had no freaking brain power. That was the truism. Well, today, that's no longer the model because everyone has a brain because even slow third world countries are learning that your people are your prized asset. So human capital. So within that, then I have created some models I use, again, from, from NASA as a client to Pfizer to Boeing to Anheuser-Busch to, you know, mid-cap businesses. A lot of businesses I work with around $200 million to $6 billion. Army National Guard, I work with lots of National Guard adjutant generals. So what I see as a model that's even in all of them is back to human capital. So I created a formula that says if I want to be like Danny, what is it that I can objectively, diagnostically, as a formula, figure out these are all of the key performance indicators or all the ingredients that makes up who Danny is at this point in his life? Once we know that, we can then create human capital development pathways, talent, leadership, talent hierarchies can be built. How does one job flow into the other? I mean, we can really get into the weeds on these conversations. But if you just back up for a second, if I'm a parent and have a child, my child says, I want to grow up and do X, you've got to know how to get them there. That's human capital development. If I'm starting a business, what are my weaknesses? What are my weaknesses? Who has that as a strength base? If we complement together, we're successful. So I just gave five examples of how the formula, which I'm not going to share today, works. But human capital is it. We make a mistake in our society. Someone works 30, 40 years, they retire, and we put them out to pasture. What if 
the majority of everyone teaching K-12, K-16, K-18 was fired tomorrow. And they all had to reapply for their jobs. Meaning if you can't show proof of performance, you're successful doing it. Goodbye, go find another job. And go to the people that have done it for 40 years and perfected success. They no longer have anything to prove. They no longer have their egos involved. They're no longer going to get involved in the gamesmanship of trying to you know, kill their competitor so they can get promoted to just go back and give back. Because again, not very many history buffs on our, uh, in our country today, evidently. But if you look at some of our you know, first 50, 60, 70 years as a nation, all of our educators were elders. They were the men and women that freaking had a clue to teach versus someone who has no clue and they're opening their mouth. Well, it sounds like we're going to have another episode to schedule uh, because that'll be a good deep dive. When I, when I hear that, I hear commitment to excellence. It's a motto that we've had on the side of our squad cars that we've transitioned to the whole city with the clients I work with. I mean, that's, you know, the Leadership Excellence podcast. And then when I think of the Leadership Academy uh, of Excellence that you're running and tying it in, it's, it's just at the, the highest, highest level. So I was going to ask you about some of the companies and things you work with, but you covered a little bit of that. Um, you know, you're talking working with companies from 250 million to 6 billion and, and really helping them excel, take it to the next level, stay creative, innovative, really develop their human capital. Cause that's what it, it's all about the people. You know, if you take care of the people, they'll take care of the results. Absolutely. And so every time, every time align in so much. Let's talk about, let's, let's dive into our topic today because we all hear the term employee engagement. And we, we think of it in different ways. And today, you know, as we talk about the three things that really take that to the next level, loyalty, commitment, passionary, discretionary effort, innovation, you know, all of those things. How, how do you define employee engagement? Great question. I almost am, uh, am, am compelled to say I don't want to take the bait. So, <laughs> so let me answer it. You know, em, employee engagement happens in, in lots of ways and on lots of levels. But let me back this up. So the formula that I use to create change in any level is a simple three-step process. If you are on your smartphone today and you are searching for something on the internet and you find that URL and you click, almost every time there's a three, four, five, six second commercial ad that pops up first that you're held hostage to watch it while the numbers count down. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, you can skip and go to where you wanna be. But if that ad does its job, it will engage you and pull you in and you then might watch it for a couple more seconds. My three-step model can be proven on everyone's smartphone. You'll see it at play every time. If they follow the three steps, you watch the ad for a couple of seconds. They don't follow the three steps, you're ready to abort. If I'm looking at creating change in, in the organization on a daily basis, you're my supervisor, you come in and just working on project A and you want me to jump over on project B, you use these three steps in your email and your voicemail and your conversation, then we greatly increase the odds I'm going to easily, smoothly transition to project B and do it with the right attitude and embrace it and take ownership and et cetera. If we're talking about long-term you know, development, change, initiatives, projects, or how to be unique in the marketplace uh, as a business, the, the three-step model works every time. So if I want to look at engagement, step one is the word awareness. The reason people don't engage or seem complacent or disengaged, as Gallup organization would look at some of the survey data, is that awareness deals with W-H-A-T and awareness deals with W-H-Y. So if you can convey to someone what you want or what you're saying or what you're about or what you need, and you can then also convey and wrap around that the why factor, why that's important or why that's necessary. The other person's brain processes step one awareness and says, okay, I got it. I don't need to read five more pages. I got it. I don't need 37 more slides on the PowerPoint. I got it. You go to step two. 
So the reason we don't have people engaging, which we'll get to that word in a second, is because we sometimes don't do step one effectively. Again, as a leader, Danny, sometimes you'll spend minutes or hours or days or weeks or months. So everyone pay attention. That's a time continuum I just gave. You know, you will spend a lot of time getting your brain wrapped around what we need to do and why. Step one. Then you'll take your brain to the second step then to engagement or change is going to be the word engagement. That is the second word. The second step is engagement. So step one's awareness. By a pro- but the byproduct of awareness is the what factor addressing and the why factor addressing. Step two is engagement. And engagement's all the HOWs. So you'll spend a lot of time getting your brain wrapped around why we need to talk about this or do this. And then you'll even spend a lot of time around engagement. So engagement's all the HOWs, how we're going to do this, who's going to need to do this, you know, where we're going to do it, when we're going to do it. So if you think of the, the 5W and 1H model that our kindergarten and K-12 teachers brilliantly taught us, that K-12 model can be used in almost everything we do in life, whether it's talking about interviewing, whether it's coaching, whether it's project management, whether it's crisis in- intervention, you in essence leading a city or leading you know, law enforcement officers. And hey, quick shout out, massive thank you to those people that are willing to give their time to protect me as, an, as a neutralizer, all the idiots on the planet that have no clue what's falling out of their face. But because they don't understand what they're talking about awareness, that's why they have been played to say stupid things, engagement, which gets us to step three. Step three is the word commitment. So commitment is W-H-E-N, when we're going to have execution, when we're going to start, when we're going to implement, what the gates are to know, are we on track, ahead of schedule, behind schedule. So if we look at the three steps to, to engagement or change or whatever way you want to phrase these three words into, step one's awareness, two's engagement, three is commitment. The reason we don't get people buying into doing things, number three, is because we didn't do step one. So if we even use the word buy-in, because that's a great phrase we use today, buy-in doesn't start at level three. Buy-in doesn't start at level two. It starts at level one and then is involved in each of them. See, if you're not buying into even what I'm talking about and why, then how you want to do something step two and how I want to do step two is two different directions. And that's why we have all this polarization within neighborhoods, within departments, within our country, within the globe, is it, you know, we both may be right at number three and number two, but the reason we're not aligned, there's a buzzword, is that we don't get connectivity at one. So a lot of things shape, number one, values, vision, mission, all those things we talk about in an organization. So if Danny wants to have a stronger team, so our viewers, you're all Danny right now, then we need to back up and say, if I want everyone to be working together, number three, alignment, commitment, then we need to interview better back at one to find out, help us become aware of, aware of this person's values, this person's behaviors, this person's actions, this person's willingness to have the discipline to do jobs or execution. And again, that's why, let's use a silly example and then I'll shut up. Let's use pro athletics. Again, pro athletes are great. They're not even doing a real job. They're just blessed to you know, be able to play a child sport at, at an adult level and get paid an obscene amount of money. But even a pro athlete understands every time they take the, the playing field or court, they have to play at their A game level. There is no discretion for B, C, D, and F level performance. It has to be A. Because if they don't play at their A level every single time, then they're going to get benched or they're going to get pushed down to the minor leagues or they're going to lose their job because no one's going to keep mediocre players at the pro level. But it's amazing when we come into the real world where you and I really live 
how we accept mediocre performance as the majority of the people on the team, but we don't realize it because seldom do we actually even see a level performance. The whole world's been calibrated to perform. My observation have a lot of stats to back it up, but most organizations operate at a C minus level, truth be told. And the people they think are the rock stars are only actually working at an A level. Final way of answering your three. There should be only three scores on a job performance review. And here's the other way you can see if your team really is at rock star level. If you hire me to do a job and you give me a job description or whatever you want to call it, and I'm doing 100% of my job, then the best score I can get on a performance review is performing at expectation because that's exactly it. So it makes it really simple. If there's anything on this job description I'm not doing, then you as the leader have to coach me and therefore hold me accountable. Then on that item, on that level, I'm not meeting expectation because that's the second of the three only scores you should give. So someone on team says, well, Danny, how do I get an exceeds expectation? It's very simple. Look at your job description. You do 100% of that job description at the level we expect as an organization, our culture, our team, our et cetera. Then that's going to get you meets expectations. So if you want an exceed, then anything that's written down, do more of it. And then I am obligated. I have to score you at exceed. See, we do a disservice at K-12 because we're conditioned for cop-out scores. There should only be an A, a C, and an F that teachers should be allowed to give. Because letter B and letter D are really cop-out scores. The person's dumb as a box of rocks. That's an F. Oh, but they're here every day. So you're going to give them a D. No, you set them up for life uh, failures. Or they really aren't your subject matter expert. They're not the mastery level, so they're not an A. But they're not really understanding at an acceptable level, which is C, so you give them a B. No, you're either A, C, or F. Real simple. When you score it that way, you'll have a leading organization. Now, the reason unions or associations or businesses or individuals may have a problem with what I've just said is because they've been conditioned to accept mediocrity. Study any successful business at a local level. Study any business globally. They don't tolerate Fs and Ds and very seldom Cs. They build their business around As. Jack Welch 30 years ago said, hey, 20% of your company every year should be basically eliminated. He said a little bit more than that, but the point that got out in the public domain was, oh my God, I'm supposed to like fire 20% of my people, my lowest 20 every year. Yes and no. Find a way to engage them and get them up to speed or quit onboarding and hiring low performers. You're not going to be able to sustain the marketplace. So I can go on forever. Let me hit pause because this gets exciting. <laughs> no, I love it. This whole concept and idea, especially as it relates to reviews. So when I became the city manager three years ago, the review structure and system, it, it was just kind of a joke. And then you look at these different reviews and systems and all of them have, this is exceed standards. What's that look like in this category? This is meets, this is below. And so we said, look, why do we have what it means to meet standards or where do we have what it means to be below? Like, so we created this evaluation for our department head team is what's it take to get an A? This is what it looks like. And if you're not getting an A, right, or you're not somewhere, because there, there's some space between the C and the A, and I understand totally what you're saying, not arguing with it. But if you're a solid C, you can't lead on this team. Like, because we, we can't have C leadership. Now, if Bro, you're a solid stop, C, stop, yeah, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, go, go. stop. Everybody needs to stop. Danny just gave a huge key performance indicator of best in class organizations. 
you're doing 100% of the job we need you to do in that job. That's perfect. We're going to have a successful business, but that's a C because again, your C is not a negative grade. It's that's what we need. Now, if I want someone to be a future leader, what additional are you doing? That's going to be the jump over that over the chasm from C to C to A. And therefore, what do we need? Because when you promote C's to supervisor, manager, director, vice president, C-suite roles, they're not a bad person. Again, I'm not saying they're a bad person. I'm hitting my heart here. But if you don't have someone who's willing to actually rock it to the next level, to recognize that when I become a leader, a leader is not about me, it's about the team. And now how do I unleash the spirit and energy and DNA of my team? You're never going to get to the level you want. You're holding people back. Danny, that was powerful what you just said. And people need to get that. When you truly take an objective look at successful businesses, they have A's. Now, can an A come out of its shell that was a C? Absolutely. That's mentoring and coaching and giving them opportunities. But if you have any brain cells, you'll see, hey, there's a dormant A there. I just need to give them the opportunity to jump out of it. Uh, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you to be rude, oh, but that was I, massively powerful for success. I, I love it. Well, you know, if you're committed to excellence, right? Excellence isn't a destination. It's a, it's a place we can visit from time to time. It's if the whole we journey. To push towards excellence. It is. Yeah. And for me, you know, we started talking a lot in the minds of like the journey is the goal. There's there, there there's no destination. So the when when you look at okay, so this is the topic I wanted to dive into real quick because when we talk about A's or I talk about A's, I'm looking for different qualities out of out of leadership than necessarily the top performers. So I see a lot of companies that take people from the leaderboard to leadership. And it's kind of like when I became a detective back in 1999, it's a whole different job than patrol officer, right? Like you're interviewing kids under 10 years old related to child abuse cases. You're sitting across from, from murderers. You're, you're working drug investigations. You got to get wiretaps and stuff. But they gave me this badge, said detective on it. And I think they thought when I put it on my belt, like all of that knowledge and information was just going to fill me up. And guess what? It didn't. And and, and I think we do the same thing when we promote people from that leaderboard to leadership. And so I just wanted to get your differentiation between somebody who's an A and a high performer and, and looking at who is ready and has that A potential or maybe is demonstrating those A qualities uh, of somebody who really understands human capital. All right. That, that is a multi-layered complex question. Sorry. If we were all <laughs> sitting together, all of us today on this uh, this program, you and I, had a whiteboard, there's a lot of different ways we could tackle it. So for the sake of this conversation and venue, two ways. One, if you were to create a template of all of the categories, not individual characteristics, but the categories, which you probably will only be able to, be able to get to the category by listing the characteristics, but what are the characteristics of a great detective in, in your scenario? Or what are the characteristics of a great leader not the leaderboard of, of, of people, but the leadership team. So someone's going to be great as a leadership. What are the characteristics of that, that person you want a template off of? And once you have those characteristics written down, you then can start to put them into categories. Once you have those categories, that's what goes across the top of the sheet. Because now you're looking at how do I grow that in a person? Or how do I interview to find if someone has those deposits? Um, for, for viewers today that may not know, as we're recording this, Danny's based in Illinois. Um, and one of the global giants is called McDonald's. They're based in Illinois. And if you do a pie chart of the fast food industry, it's about 40-ish percent of that pie chart's owned by McDonald's. So whether you hate them or love them doesn't matter if you want to get rich, invest in them. 
But McDonald's every day is not anxious, but is concerned about market share and competition and innovation and inclusion and et cetera, all these variables today. So they're always looking at how do we become better? But the reason you would buy into a franchise, thus McDonald's or whatever business, is that you're buying in that franchise because they have perfected the template of business success. If you take their template, plop it down in the right zip code and just execute it as is, you will make money. So let's call that C. And now if you take it to the next level with the employees working in that McDonald's, you're going to make better revenue. So now we're going to an A. How do I lead a McDonald's if I have high school students working my drive up or working my counter? Well, if you engage in the right way, those high school students with limited life experiences will operate better than Danny and I with decades of life experience. But if you only look at them as a, as a throwaway commodity employee and they don't have much to offer, therefore, why should I you know, worry about them? You're never going to get a behavior and energy and attitude out of them. So first answer is what are the KPIs, key performance indicators or characteristics of a great person in that role? Once you have those, you create the categories. And so one of the models I have is called the Player Capability Index. You guys can go online and buy a copy of my management book. It's called the Managerial Leadership Bible. And if you buy a copy of the Managerial Leadership Bible, this model is explained in it. Or you can go online and buy a copy of Your Trajectory Code, another book I've written on personal success. Chapter five explains this in detail. This is a huge piece of my secret sauce. So that's one. Second way of, of looking at how we identify the difference between a someone who's on the leaderboard, call that next generation potential leadership or, or evolving in essence high potentials to be in leadership roles versus the word leadership, your two categories. If someone who's in leadership has to be able to understand micro and macro at the same time, that's going to be one instant change between everyone in the organization. Leadership has to understand that their job is not to be anyone's friend per se. In leadership, there are six leadership styles of intervention. Um, situational leadership in 1950s by two gentlemen birthed a model that talked about four ways to lead, manage, or engage people. If you're listening today, you're not familiar with situational leadership, shame on anyone that's ever taught you leadership because they suck. You need to go back and do a little briefing on that because that really is a, a cornerstone to any management leadership initiative on the planet today. What I did 20 years ago is I took that model from the 50s and realized, okay, they, they're talking about four styles of intervention. I realized to be successful, there's two more. So I've kind of morphed the model forward. And I talk about six styles of management or, or change the name, six styles of management, six styles of leadership, six styles of coaching, six styles of engagement. So when you're in leadership, you have to be able to assess in real time. If Danny Nessens is my supervisor, he has to assess in real time, where is Jeff McGee right now? And therefore, which figurative management hand goes on your head to engage me and hold me accountable? And then more of succession planning, bigger picture, if you're in the leadership role, where does Jeff McGee land overall as an employee within these six? So you can see how to engage me, to grow me, to develop me, who you want to you know, put me in their space to help mentor me and guide me and what experiences I need, what education I need, et cetera, to grow me into being in leadership. So what I've just demonstrated with Danny, your question is that even if I gave two short, quick answers, there's a lot that you have to unpack if you're going to be successful in growing leadership or you want to grow your own leadership. Final comment, the problem why most people suck at leadership, and I say S-U-C, so don't even get offended. I'm not saying K. But if you write down the word success, the first three letters of success is S-U-C. So you have two choices in life. You either will fail or you will lead. One of the things I talk about in leadership is I've recognized as a performance psychologist, the difference between failure and success, hear this, the difference between failure and success is nothing. 
Your body as a human being is going to do five things. We'll save this for another show, but you're going to do five things and you will either let those five take you towards derailment or you will guide those same five towards success. And that's what leadership is about is engaging and owning those five and objectively wearing not only the hats that deal with how to guide you in a good way, but sometimes you have to put the hat on that deals with tough love. And the longer you wait to deal with a problem player, it becomes a cancer and spreads and becomes contagious in your organization. Boom. There you go. You know, you can get everything, you can get everything right as a leader. You can care for people, you can serve them, you can include them. It can always be about them. But but if you do, you can train them, develop them, coach them, mentor them, like all those things. But if you do not get accountability right, it will destroy and tear apart your organization. So when we talk about accountability real quick, I know we're getting uh, close to the end of the show here. So let me give a little bonus nugget for everyone. So what I've recognized in successful business, there's five critical factors. I'm not going to give them right here. Five critical factors to every successful business, no matter who you are. But factor number five is the word accountability. Danny, you just brought it up. Now, let me take accountability and peer back the, uh, peel back the onion here. There's five levels of accountability you all need to write down right now, because here's how accountability works. If your team is truly at peak performance, if you're a parent and you want your household to be at peak performance, here's a wake up call. If you're in school, K-12, and you want your school to actually be accountable, I mean, you can use this model everywhere and it's very alarming. How you know you have a peak performing organization, accountability level number one is the word self, self-accountability. When you have an organization or you have a household where everyone holds themselves accountable first, then you're evolving up the, uh, uh, up the ladder to be as most efficient and successful as you can. Second level of accountability then is going to be the word systems. If you create systems you can use individually to hold yourself accountable to doing the right things, then that's an example. So simple example, you need to get the food this week at the grocery store. And if you don't, we're not going to have anything to eat. Well, you might have a thousand pressing things, but you say, no, I've got to stop tonight on the way home to get the food. That's number one, because you're not pawning it off on someone else. Well, if you have a grocery list that you've been kind of you know putting some notes on in your house for the past week or two weeks, and you have that grocery list with you, that's an example of a system. So again, what do you have? So if you create an environment where there's a checklist, SOPs, you know, compliance, software, et cetera, number two. So first level accountability itself, second is system, third then is going to be peer. If you have an organization where people hold each other accountable, not to, not to rat on anyone, not to whistleblow, not to throw someone on the bus, but just say, I got your back on this. Then that's a third level of successful organizations. Younger brother taking care of older brother, sister, older brother, sister taking care of younger brother, sister, when mom and dad's not around, that's a level three. Again, we know we're not going to do this because of, you know, the teddy bear has a camera in its eyeball and it's watching us. That's a number two uh, because, you know, hey, it's just the right thing to do. That's a number one. So you can, you can make it silly or serious. So one is self, two is system, three is going to be peer, four is customer. Who's the external constituent that you can continuously seek feedback from to help you to validate one, two, three, or give you ways to tweak one, two, three. And the last one of the five, and maybe you can add some more to the list, but five is always the boss, the supervisor, the parent. So whenever you walk into an organization or a house and the boss is having to be there to point at people figuratively or literally, to do this, don't do this. I told you this, you shouldn't have done that. Then you, your paradigm's in the wrong order and you're never going to have a peak performing organization. Southwest Airlines, 50 years of age. They've made a profit every single year. We can debate the last year of the pandemic, but they've made a profit every year. <clears throat> other airlines try to figure out why. Well, the, air, the other airlines get it wrong when they go, well, Southwest business models a little bit differently. That's why they can make a profit. They only use one kind of equipment. No, that's stupid. Wrong answer. Or they, you know, they, they miss it. It's a people business. <clears throat> just like American Airlines or Delta Airlines or United Airlines or et cetera. But the difference is if you think about those five levels of accountability, that's exactly how Southwest is designed. 
Everyone takes ownership themselves. That's why they can turn a plane faster than any other airline. It's why they can do it with fewer employees. It's why they're more profitable, et cetera. It's a whole other story. Boom, boom, boom. I tell you what. So this is, this is a wake-up call because one of the things that I think we're missing the most of in this world is leadership. And, Absolutely. And if I walk into an organization and just by the actions, behaviors, comments, the way people are talking – you know who the boss is right away. They're the inserting themselves. Is. They're they're inserting themselves too much. One of the things I took a lot of pride in is if you sit in a, a meeting with our team and you're from an outside organization, I mean, unless they do introductions in that in that realm, like you're not gonna know. It's not gonna be one person always telling people what to do. Right. When the team fluidly knows topically who's the subject matter expert on this one. The team will know who needs to lead the conversation. Brilliant. And therefore, the team also knows whether it's self or the person next to who needs to shut up for a minute. I absolutely love what you're saying. But again, some organizations don't want to unleash the SME or the leaders versus leadership. The leaders are misreading and they're afraid. Well, if I let Danny talk and I'm the boss, then someone's going to not see value in me and they can think Danny's more important. No, if I'm a leader, again, Silly example, leaders should be able to walk around and, and physically do nothing because they're mentally engaging people. And realizing, hey, this is a great idea over here. Hey, Danny, what are your thoughts? Hey, Susan, what are your thoughts? Whoa, whoa, Danny, Susan, both of you, hold up for a second. Lynette, come over here. You own this because you understand human capital modeling and you'll understand who owns it because they have the right pedigree to lead that conversation. Or when none of us have the pedigree and we need to go outside and find someone that's with it. Again, very powerful statement you just read. Again, if we understand topically who the SME is in a room and the team is willing to leverage that, oh my God, the success you're about to have is massive. No one's going to want to leave. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Leaders out there, train, coach, mentor, develop, give people the resources, support them, be there to pick them up and dust them off. But, but when you've done those things, get out of their way. Great leaders are great multipliers. And if you're having to go around and make all the decisions, you're not multiplying and you're really limiting your organization. If you're driven by profits, become a multiplier. If you're, if you're driven by profits to empower your people to be innovative and take risks and be creative. Right? And one of the things I learned from the military over the years is some of the great leaders I've been around. And unfortunately, some really worthless leaders that, that shouldn't have the word leader next to their name because they've killed their, their organization. But great leaders, they use that word uh, multiplier as a, and they call it a force multiplier. What's our force, force multiplier? So I put my hat on dealing with human capital. I'm always looking on that. What's the team's needs or challenges today, tomorrow, next year? And who on the team can, can give them the key to work through that and be successful? And if I unleash them, put the spotlight on them, they become the force multiplier to the organization. If they have success, everyone else who has the attitude to want to be successful, they will mimic them. They'll innovate beyond them. And now the team is like almost out of control with successes. Wouldn't that be a problem to, to have today? Too many successes. That, that's awesome. That's Once you get going, momentum creates momentum. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey, you have a call to action as, as people walk away from this conversation. Absolutely. It's the word legacy every time. What is your legacy? If you're a parent and you have children, uh, paradigm flip, your children are not your legacy. It's what your children do that others are the recipient of. That's where you start measuring legacy. Uh, again, in, as a business uh, owner, as a business leader, if whether you're on the leaderboard, as you said, or you're in leadership or just even a peer, Again, what is your legacy? And there's a lot of ways you could then extrapolate it. Today was your last day on the planet and you didn't know it. And someone had been videotaping you today, yesterday, and et cetera. Uh, what's going to be your legacy? Uh, are you empowering or are you, in essence, uh, a derailer? 
Uh, there's a great poem several years ago that a young lady wrote called The Dash. I challenge everyone, if you don't know The Dash, Google it. And, and that's another great way of, of looking at this word legacy. And The Dash simply says this to paraphrase the young lady's poem. Again, you walk to a cemetery. It's not about, uh, about negative. It's about celebration. You look at someone's headstone. Their name is there. Maybe some art, maybe some other words. But there's two numbers. The number they arrived, the number they left, and there's a dash in between. Legacy is what did you do between the time you arrived and the time you left, whether in essence it's the same date, whether it's a short amount of time or a long amount of time. What is your legacy? That's what the dash is about. That's the videotape. Imagine touching a headstone and a, a large TV screen pops out of the top of it, and there's the videotape on fast forward of that person's life. Would they have done something of meaning and meaningful or sadly did they just occupy space? And we have a lot of people on this planet, sadly, that are negative signs, not plus sign. Legacy, how do you plus everyone around you? Hopefully today I plus somebody. You, you did. You added so much incredible information. Before I re summary and recap and we head out, where can people find you? Thank you very much for even asking that question. Two places your viewers can find me. My name's on the screen. Check the right spelling. So one is jeffreymcgee.com. You can find me there. Different resources I have available, uh, different B2B, B2C programs. My signature products is a, is a Leadership Academy of Excellence in Sales. I grew up in sales into leadership. Second place people can find me. Uh, I, I also own a media company. They can go to professionalperformancemagazine.com and professionalperformancemagazine.com will take them to my website every quarter. We do a magazine where we get phenomenal personalities to write articles on success and achievement. So we have uh, political leaders, celebrities, athletes, entertainers, world, uh, world global leaders. Uh, American Indian heritage is a fascination of mine. So I typically always have a tribal Indian chief or, or, or principal CEO, whatever they call them in their uh, grouping, write articles. I always have an adjutant general from the National Guard write an article on leadership. So great depository of first, uh, first ran editorial. So professional performance magazine, jeffreymcgee.com. Excellent. And to our listeners in the podcast details, there'll be direct links to, Thank you. to those things. There'll also be a direct link to, to LinkedIn to be able to connect or, or follow, follow me there. Right? Every day I post something that is leadership based. No, absolutely. And, and thank you so much for coming and sharing your vast expertise. There's so many different things from when we talked before to when we talked during this, I'd love to dive into. So we'll talk about maybe having you back in a little while. Be so, honored. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. It's been great. So, you know, today really the focus was on the three factors to increase engagement, that connection, passionate, discretionary effort, buy-in, ownership. Number one, awareness. Two key factors. What? What are we doing? and why. Two, engagement. How? How is this going to happen? And then commitment. That's when. That's all about execution. You know, the, the call to action. What is your legacy? What do you want to leave beyond you? Just because you left something doesn't mean it's a legacy or it contributes to anything, but how is what you left contributing to the betterment of other people's lives, making Every this time. world, making your company, making your family a better place? And then a huge topic that if we get wrong is, is such a problem, accountability accountability of self, systems accountability, peer accountability, customer accountability, and boss accountability. And if there's too much boss accountability, there's something incredibly, incredibly wrong in your organization. Dr. Jeffrey, thank you again. You, you have been just an incredible, incredible guest. To our listeners, if you enjoyed thank this you. episode, yeah, thank you so much. To our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, uh, give us a rating, leave us a review, helps us grow more organically. And remember, always be committed to excellence.